But it was going to come and read to us from Scripture right now. We're reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and we will start with verse 1 to 2. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one ever had written. Untie it and bring it here. And we'll continue verse 7 to 17. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks at the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Those went ahead, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple court. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find it if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not season for fruit. Then he said to the tree, May no, no one ever read fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple court and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling those and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. This is the word of God. Thank you, Bodil. Thank you. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, I'm sure, for for many of us here this morning, of uh, this dramatic event. Two, three events that happen that all have significance in this particular moment. Jesus with the courage, I was going to say the courage to sit on a donkey. Has anybody ever sat on a donkey? Does it take courage to sit on a donkey? No. Okay, so that wasn't the courageous bit, was it? The courageous bit wasn't sitting on a donkey or a colt or whatever translation you have that may say, tell you what sort of animal it was. The courage wasn't that, was it? The courage was taking the next step. The courage was continuing towards Jerusalem, wasn't it? The courage was moving towards the place where he knew everything would come to a place of completion. That's the sort of courage that it took for Jesus on that particular day. Fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A king would come on a horse in victory from battle. But our king, he comes on a donkey, lowly and humble. 
victory awaiting him through his own obedience. And he arrives in the temple courts, but waits until the second, the next day, to remind people as to what that temple is all about. The outer court that he would have gone into, the court of the Gentiles, was the place where everybody was allowed to be, Jew and non-Jew alike. It was the place where the Gentiles would be able to access God's presence in in that place. And yet it had become a place of buying and selling. It had become a place of extortion with temple currency being needed for the sacrifice being exchanged at exorbitant rates so that those who didn't have enough would have no hope of entering into the appropriate sacrifice. And then the drama intensifies as Jesus turns the tables over and drives out the money changers. In John's account, Jesus has a whip in his hand and whips them to force them to move out. This is a a drama taking place right in their midst. A drama born out of the Old Testament story that this place should be a house for all people where no one is excluded, where everyone has a place. The Jews had lived with temporary solutions of the tabernacle during their wanderings and now the temple. But Jesus came to declare that there is an ultimate solution and it's found in him. If you want to come into God's presence, if you want your life to be a house of prayer, a place where God's presence is, then you have to come through him. That what happens in this week to come will be the reality of why he came. And so what is it that Jesus is looking from your life and my life at the moment? What's he looking for? We've got that very dramatic moment when he goes to the fig tree. And it always seemed unfair to me, this little story, didn't it, to you? I mean, here's this fig tree doing what it does best, producing leaves. And Jesus says, there's no figs here. Well, it's not the season for figs, is it? Well, I found out a very useful gardening tip that you might want to know. That a fig tree, out of season produces little nodules and those nodules are often eaten by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem so when Jesus saw this fig tree it hadn't even produced a nodule there was nothing in it when it should have had something in it and so that indicated very clearly that this tree was diseased and it was dying and so Jesus says you know you've got some lovely leaves But your life has got to be more than just showing a nice bunch of leaves. I'm looking for fruit. And I think in this dramatic, this dramatic moment, I think Jesus is saying, I'm looking for fruit from your life. He hadn't found it in the temple that day. He'd found noise and ritual and routines that were excluding people, but he hadn't found fruit. And he came to look for fruit. To see the fruit of righteousness, to the, see the fruit of worship, to see the fruit of a commitment to a God who had given everything for them. He's still looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit from your life and my life. It was the first command, wasn't it, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22? What did God say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful. And He continues to say to us, I want your life to produce fruit. John 15 verse 16, Jesus said, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So today he's looking in your life for fruit. 
not just leaves, not just show, not just religious obedience. He's looking for fruit, a product as a result of his presence in your life. To see that you're rooted in his love. To see that your roots go down deep into his marvellous love. And if they do, then fruit becomes the result. The second thing I think he's looking for you from our lives today, he's looking for room in your life as well. That's what that dramatic moment was of clearing out the traders, overturning the tables. He's saying, this is a place where there's room to worship, room for prayer. I'm looking for room in your life. Because our houses, our lives get cluttered, don't they? You've got a cluttered house. Have you got stuff in the garage instead of your car? It's not just about stuff, is it? A cluttered life. It's about a life that's distracted by other things when our attention should be given to the maker of all things. It's about a life that is busy around many different things except the one thing that he's looking for. And that is room for him to come to fill your life, to be the center of your attention. Does he need to clear anything out of your life today? Is there something that's getting in the way of that, your life becoming a house of prayer, a temple for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? You know, back in Genesis, and I think this story has many echoes of Genesis, the, the flip side of Genesis, the upside down, if you like, of Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve had forgotten God, forgotten to give him room, when they'd taken their own way, God had to exclude them and expel them from the garden. And what did he put in place? He put a flaming sword flashing back and forth. There's no way back to this place of my presence. Well, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has opened up a way for us to come back to experience his presence as we make room for him to come again. The king who strolls into Jerusalem on a donkey storms into the temple and transforms it so that it becomes a house of prayer again. I wonder if our lives need to become houses of prayer, of connection, of relationship back to God again. Paul writes to the Corinthians, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. That's an echo of Genesis again. And I will be their God and they will be my people. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for room. But most importantly, he's looking for you. He's looking for you to be where he is. He's looking for you to come into his presence. He's looking for you to be available for him. After the temple had been cleared out, Matthew says to us, the children shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for praise from you. The blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. He's looking for you to ask him to bring healing and wholeness to your life again. I pray 
at the beginning of this Easter week that we will join the festal shout of joy and we will welcome him in and say, Jesus, there is room. There's room for you. Come, take up your rightful place in my life. Father, will you help us to encounter you afresh, to open our lives to this amazing story of your love for us, We welcome you. Come, Lord Jesus. I pray that for each of us today. In your name. Amen.